We've all heard some great lawyer jokes. Trust us, we've heard them, all of them. But without sounding too adversarial, lawyers are humans too. In fact, that's the main theme of this podcast. Welcome to The Human Lawyer, the time and place where we have conversations with lawyers focusing on the intersection of the existential and the practical. Dancing in the Rain with Ryan Alshek, the CEO and founder of Time by Ping. Preparing, this ep- preparing for this episode brings this truth to life. We all have a superpower. What's yours? Ryan's is his mom, who's na- who now is his guardian angel. She ascended into guardian status right after he achieved a monumental professional feat, closing his first seed round for his company, Time by Ping. For those familiar with startup life, the seed round in so many ways feels like a lifeboat. Others believe in something you've believed in from the start. That's validation, but in Ryan's case, the validation was met with perhaps emotional debilitation. But perhaps Ryan's capacity to keep pushing was fueled by his perspective while helping his mom cope with a terminal illness, witnessing his dad's love for his mom and his mom's undying spirit. Ryan has learned that true love isn't romantic and starting a business is hard because you suck. We dance anyway and we rise again. Isn't that right? Welcome to the Human Lawyer Podcast. I appreciate that intro, Kevin. Thank you. So, yeah, the, I mean, I appreciate having the visibility into uh, there's a, all of that comes from a blog or an article published on Medium, and I had read it in preparation for this episode, and and you were very candid in sharing some of the things that you were going through in 2018, which I believe is um, uh, when all this transpired. So, I suppose... The first question would be, it's now 2022 and, and life continues to get more complicated. We have a pandemic, you know, there's, you know, there's kind of a geopolitical conflict now, inflation, like, and so it's sort of, the rain keeps coming, if you will, to use your analogy. And uh, so just wondering how you've uh, continued to dance, uh, kind of in, as we've dealt with new challenges, um, since 2018. Yeah, you know, uh, obviously the mission of the company is to return time. And uh, dancing is all about choosing where you spend your time. And no matter what's going on around you, it is about the people that you spend your time with and the things that you spend your time doing. And it really is as simple as that. And uh, if COVID taught us anything, it was uh, a lot of us were not spending time in the way that we wanted. And it forced us to re-examine our relationship with time. So do I wanna be commuting an hour and a half every day? Do I wanna not be able to have dinner with my family every day? Do I want to not travel? Do I want to not do these things, right? And so uh, over the last four years, I think, my relationship with time has evolved because of these things around us. And um, no matter what's going on, if you have people around you that are, that sanctify your time and you have things that you do every day that you love that make your time feel validated, I think we can dance for anything. That's amazing. When you, we're raising that seed round in 2018. 
I don't recall the specifics, but you had some friends or folks that had been with you like from the jump and uh, just talk about them maybe a little bit. I forget their names, but just kind of what, what that was like to have, you know, people in the trenches with you. Again, it's all about the people you choose to spend your time with. My, one of my favorite quotes, quotes is, uh, it's a variant on Chateaubriand, but he says, I can't tell whether I'm working or playing. I expect other people to tell me. And that's what life is. If you could do that, you're probably winning. Uh, so those friends uh, are, we had a group of four of us that went to university together. And uh, Karosh and I and Eric, uh, we actually started the company together. Uh, but Niquette and Michael, at that point, hadn't been part of the company, but had been part of Silicon Valley. So Niquette had uh, started and ultimately sold a successful startup to Google. Uh, and Michael was the first designer at Nest, which consequently also sold to Google. And so they helped mentor me through how the hell do you navigate Silicon Valley as a lawyer? And uh, without their help, I would have never been able to raise the seed. I had no idea what we were doing. Um, and as life would have it, um, as we were able to raise a Series A, uh, we were able to convince them to come on board. And now Niquette leads product and Michael leads design. And again, I get to work with people that I learn from every day that I would choose otherwise to spend my time with every day. And uh, often, no matter what we're going through, um, it feels like play. And I am very lucky to be in the position uh, that I'm in. Yeah. Unpack Silicon Valley for the, there, one, there are other lawyers that may listen to this show who are probably comparably ignorant uh, as me. And then two, there's the geographic issue. Like I've never been to Silicon Valley. Um, probably most of our listeners, listeners have it. So just like conceptually, like what's, what's it like kind of, you've got this idea it's a legal thing. Those things maybe not be as sexy as some of the other things that matriculate through Silicon Valley. So kind of unpack that as much as you, you can. Yeah, I'll take that in two frames. So in terms of Silicon Valley, uh, it, it just comes down to a network. And, and Silicon Valley is a true network effect, or at least was, and we can kind of talk about what it is right now. Uh, and it is really hard uh, if you don't have people helping you navigate that network to understand what to do, what to say, what the rules of engagement are. Uh, but once you're in, you're in. And what was amazing about Silicon Valley is, is as soon as we got our first term sheet, within about two weeks, we had 10 others. And so uh, through the ecosystem, it's a very small one. People talk, everybody knows everything. Um, and it's a place I've never experienced uh, anything in my legal career where the pay it forward was so part of that culture. Um, I would cold email people um, and say, hey, I wanna practice my pitch on you. And these are some of the biggest VCs in the world or uh, some of the uh, most famous founders in the world. And I was shocked at the response rate of, sure, come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you 45 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know me. How the hell are you running this multi-billion dollar fund, multi-billion dollar company, and you have time to help me? And it's because people help them. And that's part of the Silicon Valley ethos is you help each other and you don't expect anything in return. And the only ask is that when somebody asks you for help, you do that. 
that's Silicon Valley. What's really interesting is since COVID, it's been distributed. You know, we've decentralized Silicon Valley to an extent, and, and we'll see what happens. Um, but to anyone listening that hasn't been, um, right now, Zoom is the new Silicon Valley. And you can get in front of every anybody. And again, that same ethos will still exist. You could send a cold email so long as it's personal and thoughtful and all those pieces, then you'll get a lot of yeses. And, and that's really an amazing thing. Um, and then just to comment on your sexy point, totally agree, right? At legal is this very unsexy industry doesn't uh, seem to be very fast moving. And we could talk about all the sort of structural issues there. Um, but what we're doing is uh, we are trying to understand where you are spending time at work, right? We're trying to translate your digital footprint into a timeline. Uh, and our first application of that is legal because uh, in no industry is time literally equal money. So it's a really good incentive. Uh, but the way I position the company is it's not a legal tech company, right? It's a time company. We're all using machines today. None of us really understand where we're spending our time. It's kind of this insane thing. This entire ecosystem is built around where we spend our money, yet we all agree time is more valuable than money. And none of us actually know where we're spending our time. Hmm. And so uh, I think it's really sexy what we're doing. And uh, the legal application of it uh, is R&D for us for a much bigger vision, which is I want anyone that uses an OS to understand where their most valuable asset is going. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective. And I can see how that slight pivot in perspective makes it a lot sexier. Um, tell me this, what did you learn about yourself pitching? Like, I asked that because like, I think we all have this person. Well, I want to speak so broadly, but I'll speak for myself. I think we often have this perception of ourselves um, and like what we're good at. And like, then you go do something and you're like, I guess to put it, as you put it in medium, like, well, I might suck. Like I'm, I'm not very good. Or like I equivocate too much or I'm not, I'm not sure footed or, uh, like, like uh, th that wasn't compelling. And I think, I think it's sort of the lawyer in you that kind of like replays what happened and uh, sort of litigates the outcome, like, you know, try and find fault and everything. Um, so just curious what you learned about yourself. It's a great question. Um, I'm going to butcher the story, but Kobe Bryant was talking about when he was younger, maybe eighth, ninth grade. He had a whole summer where he didn't score a single point. And he took that as fuel. And he just busted his ass every day. And the next summer, he dominated. And the point of that is you're going to suck at everything that you do for the first time. You're supposed to. It's okay. Um, the key is do you keep going? Do you keep pushing that? Do you keep using that as motivation to learn, grow? That's what it's all about. Uh, what I learned about myself when I was pitching, uh, I will share a story with you. Uh, the aforementioned Niket. Um, so I, I list him as a reference uh, and one of the VCs, I won't say who it was, they called him and they said, uh, we're really unsure of this Ryan guy. And uh, Niket said, okay, let's hear it. And he said, well, he said one, uh, it was about the uh, pitchiest, most showman, sort of presentation we'd ever seen. Hey, this guy came in and, you know, he answered all of our questions and then, you know, this and that. And I don't know, it just, he came off very like 
he's too slick. <laughs> and I'll never forget. And the cat, and this is one of the most famous people that was having this conversation. The cat goes, Hey man, if you don't want him to pitch, don't ask him to pitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and so you learn. And I was really embarrassed when I got that feedback, right? Because you're just, you're you and that's me. And I can't change that. Uh, and the, and the backdrop of the story, I'll tell you, it, it, it was uh, probably the biggest pitch that we had, by the way, this VC ended up investing, which is the best part of the story. <laughs> uh, I was really nervous. And so we had gotten, again, we, we were so lucky to had engendered the interest that we did, but this was like the big kahuna. If we landed this, this would have been. And so uh, one of the, the strengths of not understanding Silicon Valley is that I didn't get nervous. I didn't care who was who, or if you're a 16 or Joe Schmo VC, I mean, I don't really know the difference, right? I'm not part of that world. Just like a non-lawyer doesn't understand the difference between Cravath and uh, Larry Moe and Curly LLP, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was never nervous. I always just was me. But for this one, everyone made me nervous. Oh my God, this is the Harvard. You get in, you're minted. All they do is make unicorns. So I was nervous. So I'm in the Uber, heading home. And I call my mom, because that's what I did when I was nervous. And I said, Mom, I'm really nervous. She said, never forget. Habibi, remember, they are lucky to have you. You are not lucky to have them. And I was, I came off the phone. I was like, hell yeah, you know? <laughs> and that was the energy I went with. Um, and so you learn a lot about the way that you're perceived. And what was really interesting is uh, people pick up on everything. What are you wearing? How tan is your skin? Uh, what does your hair look like? What is people's perception. You know, I, I had one VC say, you know, R Ryan looks like a certain way and he goes to LA a lot and it's probably just to chase girls. And, and we don't know if we want to invest in that. And I was going to LA because my mom was sick. Right. Uh, and I was taking care of her. And so I was back and forth every day. So you learn a lot and you learn that you can't be everyone, everything to everyone. And you have to be very comfortable in who you are. You have to be very comfortable with rejection. You have to be very comfortable and excited to hear no. And your job is not to convince everyone that your vision of the world is going to materialize. In fact, if you did that, then it means it's not that compelling of a vision. Hmm. You just need to convince one to say, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in what you are saying. I believe that the future of the world will have this. Let's go try to make it happen. Mm -hmm. and that's your job. And it's, it's hard to rewire your brain, especially as a lawyer where you're so used to winning, especially in litigation. It's win or lose, binary outcomes. In this game, in the Valley, it's not, it's power law. One yes is all you need for a 100x, 1,000x outcome. And uh, yeah, you have to rewire in the way you think, but a bit of a meandering answer, but a really interesting uh, question about yeah, I learned a lot about myself during that process. Yeah, thanks so much. That, that's really meandering is the name of this game. That's sort of <laughs> sp that's the space we're in or that we try to create. Uh, so you talk about perception, whether they liked you, how tan your skin is, your sort of your, you know, as you're describing how your mom talked, she you gave her an accent, which I assume is on purpose. Uh, so where where was she from? And you have tan skin for those that don't see this video. So like, is that, I don't know. I, I, I suppose like, you know, is that something that you've had to deal with? Like uh, where you're from or um, what your background is or 
you know, is, does, is where your mom from, does that give you a certain type of, is that part of your superpower? Like, is that, you know, some of the cultural, I don't know, uh, norms. Yeah, I'm Syrian Lebanese. So uh, my dad is uh, from Tartus, Syria. My mom uh, was born in Beirut. Uh, so Middle Eastern, so the tan skin comes from, you know, it's part, part of the game, part, yeah. part of, uh, you know, is, is my culture part of me? All of our cultures are part of us, right? So the way we were raised, um, I was raised in a very unique way, you know, um, Middle Eastern culture is uh, obviously extremely loving. Family is uh, at the epicenter of everything. Um, my mom raised me to genuinely believe that I was uh, special and not in a uh, egotistical kind of, oh, my, my son is, the, 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 no, it was a, you are put on this earth for a reason and your responsibility is to help as many people as you can because of it. Um, so that, is who I am. My dad uh, sort of broke the mold, uh, I believe, of a lot of the stereotypes of, of Middle Eastern men. And, and uh, my dad, uh, nobody was more supportive of his wife's career. My, my mom was a uh, kind of world famous doctor. My dad was this world famous doctor. My dad was more proud of his wife's career than his own. And he would tell anybody, my wife is 10 times smarter than me. I'll tell you a really quick story if you'll indulge me. Uh, they immigrated, immigrated to this country. My dad came three years before. And uh, he got, he had to go to San Francisco, park valet cars for three years while he would take all like the equivalent med medical exams, the TOEFL and all these pieces. He had gone to med school in Damascus and he uh, landed one residency and uh, he went to Detroit uh, and then through that, went to Youngstown, Ohio, which is where I was born. And finally was able to get my mom to, to come, could afford to bring my mom over. So they got married for two and a half, three years, didn't see each other. And there wasn't WhatsApp or you know, any of these <laughs> things back then. Right? Uh, anyways, my, so my dad goes through this residency program and he gets through it. And I'm like three years old at this point. And my mom was stay at home mom and was with me the entire time. And uh, the chairman of, of the department says to my dad, Najib, you are uh, the most brilliant person in, that I've met. And uh, you went to a, a never heard of your med school and you have, I have people from, you know, you name it, Hopkins and Mayo Clinic and all this, but you're, you're smarter than all of them. And I wish we weren't so uh, close-minded about the way that we assess people. And my dad looks at him and says, if you think I'm smart, my wife is 10 times smart. And this chairman, to his credit, and I'll always uh, be indebted, said, are you serious? And my dad said, 100% serious. And he said, if you're serious, I will hire her. My mom had also gone to med school in Damascus, but had never taken any of the exams and had gone through that. And my dad said, if you regret this decision, I will... I will quit myself. And he hired her, sight unseen, based on my dad's reference. And my mom ended up being uh, what she was. So uh, yeah, th those, those pieces of our culture, those pieces of the way that you see your parents and, and how they interact and, and, and their core values, they, 
of course, we, we are all, I mean, I don't know to get to Freud, but we're all a function of, of, of what we see. Um, and so, yeah, my culture is very much a part of who I am. Yeah. Gosh, what? What a, I don't want to say like what a story because it's not a story. I mean, that's like, that's real life. Like what a life, like what, a, what, what perspective to have like during that time so far beyond his years. Um, not just from a, you know, Middle Eastern perspective, you could certainly probably make some compelling arguments that Americans weren't, weren't nailing it either in that time with respect to, um, you know, gender equality and kind of, you know, supporting women. So um, I guess the follow-up to that would be, how's he now? You know, I think, you know, it's, I would just think that the, with the, that type of love and the depth, like just what you hope, hope he's doing okay right now. My dad is a beautiful man and he lost his soulmate and was able to show us all that time goes on. And is he excited to see her again? More than anything. Mm -hmm. But as I like to remind him, he's not ready yet. And so my dad has found his second act and showed me what true strength, courage looks like. And uh, as you could probably tell, I have a very soft place in my heart for him. Uh, because yeah. he uh, is the quintessence of what a man is and uh he's still in love with my mother mm -hmm. and yeah. that's it's been four years yeah and shows you uh that what what <laughs> how timeless love can be yeah yeah and at the risk of connecting a really insensitive dot, but I think it's just trying to highlight the meaning of time, like what a dot to connect with respect to time. You know, here that's one perception of time, kind of one that has incredible depth and meaning, the one that you spend outside of the workplace. And to your point, we perhaps value that so greatly, like from an emotional perspective, but don't measure it. Don't measure time in any appreciable way and perhaps don't understand the impact that it has on relationships like that. Let, let me let me share with you a couple of things because it's not insensitive. It's, it's why I do what I do. So it's the quite the opposite. Uh, knowledge workers, which a uh, billion plus of us are, work on average nine hours a day and only add value for three. There are six hours of our every day could be better spent elsewhere. That's what our, that's why we say return time. That's our job. Those six hours, and it's going to take us decades and decades. And who knows if we'll scratch a surface, but that's, that's our job. But if nothing else, if all we did was allow people to be aware of time, then we would have done our job. And I'll tell you a very recent story. I was, went on a, uh, I had a meeting uh, and we went on a walk and did all the normal spiel. And by the end of it, she said, you know, Ryan, uh, 
I've been thinking a lot about time since our initial conversation. She's from Korea. Her parents are 70 years old and she looked up life expectancy and it was uh, 80. And so, and she goes back to Korea once a year. And she said, you know, because I go back once a year, I actually can see time. I see a, her, them aging. You know, when you see someone every day, you don't notice the sort of deltas, but you wait enough time, you're, well, wrinkles and walk different and all those pieces. So she's visualizing time every time she sees her parents. And she said, I realize that I'm gonna see my parents 10 times before they die. And I got really sad. And she was talking to her brother and her brother said, well, you know, there, there's an answer. And she said, well, I don't know, like, you know, I don't know how to make them live longer. He's like, you don't have to, you can come every six months. Hmm. And all of a sudden she doubled the amount of times that she's going to see her parents. And that's what, our, what we're trying to do. You can control time. These are mm -hmm. conscious decisions that we make, but we're so unaware. And it's not the framework in which we used to make decisions. And it should be, because it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing we have back to the earlier conversation, everything is going on in the world around us. It's the one thing that is ours within our control uh and so yeah that that's why we do what we do and obviously my experiences are my experiences but we all have very personal experiences with time and we should all be thinking through that same framework yeah uh, i feel like i feel like we should end there but i want to ask one more follow-up question and that is kind of more of a projecting question um like we're, we're coming out of COVID, uh, whatever that may be, kind of a, a, a world where that behaves a little bit differently, um, whether with respect to how we treat in-person meetings, what the efficacy of them, what things we did deem are worthy of our time to go to in person. Um, and so what, what do you see? Like what are, what are some of your hopes as, uh, as a, as an application that helps people understand time um, might help their re-entry into a post-COVID world. There was a, uh, a, there's a VC called Sound Ventures that's led by Ash and Kutcher. And mm -hmm. I, I pitched them and I'll never forget this. After my pitch, Ash said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about time. And he said the following line. He said, true luxury is the ability to take your time. Yeah. He says, we live in a world in which we try to optimize everything. I order Postmates. There's these dating apps. He's like, if I love someone, I should write them a handwritten note and not an email. It takes me longer but that's my luxury. If I love cooking, I should sit there for hours in the kitchen creating something. And so what we wanna do as a company is expose the time that you have no business spending. Here are all the things that don't add value to the world. Don't do those. They are mm -hmm. not a good use of your time. 
take that time and actually spend more time doing the things that do add value, whether it be personal, professional, or otherwise, not our call, your call. We want to give you back control of your time. And so as we come out of COVID and we make these decisions, it's not about how can I spend the least amount of time? Because I very much believe in in-person connection. I don't believe that you can connect with someone over Zoom in the same way that you can in person. And yes, you have to get in a car. And yes, it's probably a two or three X time investment, but that's a worthwhile investment. Mm -hmm. And we should be thinking about where is the highest leverage use of my time, not how can I optimize everything? And I really hope that we all take that moving forward. That's, uh, I'm so glad that I asked that last question because it it's a perfect bow for me personally. And that is to say here from my perspective, anecdotally, probably one of the main reasons that this podcast continues to exist and has traction beyond my network immediately is because I used to, when I had more time or used my time better, I used to write um, thank you notes, all my guests. And it was an amazing experience uh, because I, I learned something about people like you and I'm able to capture that. And, and there's, there's also something that's incredibly intimate about thinking about that, having some time to like put it down and then making a new connection that may not have otherwise been apparent in the conversation that we've had. I, over the last six months or so, I've, I've, in my opinion, not had enough time to do that. So I have not been doing that as much. And to be frank, it's, it's led to a lot of um, guilt in some respects. Um, sort of it, this feels more parasitic in some respects uh you know i'm not like these folks that definitely don't know me you know it's not like we have some amazing traction with our audience it's, it's a nonprofit. we're not trying to monetize it yeah we'll like post stuff out and hopefully it, it amplifies you but it's just a really good anecdote that you know i i don't have a solution for right now but I, it's, it's to say that whatever y'all were talking about with respect to spending more time on something, I feel deeply. So keep on. I'll, I'll end with this. You hear the, plat, the, the canard, right? There's not enough time in the day. There's plenty of time in the day. Just know that every time you are choosing to spend your time, you're making a prioritization decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of time. And prioritize ruthlessly because yep. very few things actually matter, but the things that do matter are the ones that you take with you. And so, yeah, we're trying to build software that, that allows you to see that, visualize that, have that conversation with yourself, but we should all be thinking through that frame. Yeah. Well, help us keep helping us. So thanks for your time. This was so much fun. Uh, and yeah, we look forward to staying in touch. We need to recognize that this is possible because of the hard work and support of the well-run media team. They make this easy. And speaking of easy, big thanks to Huga Coworking for access to their studio. And of course, the lawyers who agree to take time out of their busy, busy schedules to be here, even though we're sure they have better things to do. So thanks for saying yes.